0: Hello, everybody. You know, is the camera a little crooked? Yes, it is. But there's really nothing I can do about it. Okay. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Hello, Thomas. To- Ooh, Jesus. We go. Today is let's see. 10.05 West Coast time. It is uh, time for the the Promotional practice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. Thank you so much for watching me. I greatly appreciate it. Today on the podcast, we will get to, um, you can well imagine what we might get to. Uh, Let's see. I mean, where does this even begin and end? GSP versus Bisping for the UFC middleweight title just got made official. So that is, this thing is killing me now. It's a little bit better. Um, it's just been made official, so we'll react to that. We're also going to have, obviously, a discussion about UFC 219 Fight Week. As you can see, I'm in my hotel room. You can see some of the Vegas skyline back there a little bit. Um, anyway, we'll get to that and a whole lot more. Appreciate you guys joining me, especially on this uh, crazy, crazy day. And uh, it's weird doing this on West Coast time because it's like 10 a.m. where I am. But uh, nevertheless, we are going to get it done. couple of um, housekeeping announcements um good news i know jeremy botter thought that this was a big joke but it's not the t-shirts should 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 go on sale either later today or tomorrow they're done they're ready to rock they're gonna have the link up on mma warehouse uh in a matter of either a day or a day or two uh it's been approved all looked at they said you want us to put the link up i said put the link up so um they'll be up soon and just to clarify where your money will go I don't get a dime of it, um, we'll do future subsequent t-shirt sales, but for this particular event, it's going to go to two different causes, I'm going to split the money 50-50, some will go to uh, a, a organization called the Humane Rescue Alliance that uh, takes animals, rehabilitates them to some extent, and of course hands them out, uh, you know, hands them out, but gives them to people here in your, if you're American in your nation's capital. Um, and, um, you know, they provide a, a battery of medical services, again, rehabilitative services, you know, forever homes, that kind of thing. So it's not merely some sort of run-of-the-mill dog shelter. I got one of my dogs from there. Barbus came from the Humane Rescue Alliance. So it's a good cause, right? Barbas would approve. Uh, and then the other one will go to an organization called uh, Fundacion. Um, uh, I always get the Spanish wrong. Fundacion de Grandpas, Colombia. And it's a, a similar organization in Bogota. If you've ever been to Latin America, you know, it's a wonderful, wonderful place. But there is rampant dog homelessness there. And I just don't think that they have the same kind of attitudes about uh, certain forms of animal welfare that they we do in other parts of the country. Or the world, I should say. In any case, this is a wonderful organization. And your money that you give from this t-shirt will go directly. And this is not a joke. We're going to have all this information up. It's going to go to a disabled dog that has no use of its lower limbs. So whatever the proceeds are, we're going to split them in half. Half will go to the Humane Rescue Lines, Half will go to the Fundacion uh, de Grand Paul's Colombia. So it's a good cause all the way around. Those should be up later today. I'm trying to get a little more light up in this piece, but it's a little hard. In any event, all right, without further ado, let's get to this news, shall we? I was going to start with the first question, but, uh, I mean, it's so... It's so, it's just crazy. All right, what do you want to say um, about this news? So GSP versus Michael Bisping is official. It'll be for the middleweight title. Um, It'll be in the second half of 2017, but we don't know the date or the venue yet. It, It merely was announced today by UFC president Dana White. So that's really all we know. Um. You guys know my position on this one. It's been pretty clear. I see some fairly glib reactions out there. Be like, ah, it's no big deal. And, and certainly I'm not here to spell um, imminent doom. Uh, but I find that if you don't have any reaction to it other than it's no big deal, I have a little, I have a hard time accepting that it's just no big deal. Right? A lot of this is speculative. And I'll admit that up front. I don't actually know what's going to happen. Um, perhaps they'll do this, and then we'll continue to have events like we have this weekend, UFC 209, where it's you know maybe you could have made a case for Maya getting a fight after a draw, but certainly you can understand why there would be a rematch in the main event. It's not a crazy thing, and in that co-main event, I mean that's you know that's everything you want as a fight fan. That's 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 what we look for, right? um That's that's real MMA contenders facing off, and then the winner sort of getting the spoils, and I don't think the contenders necessarily hobbled forever, but you, that's the kind of fight that I think we really all appreciate, and and we've been over that. The problem with GSP versus Bisping is that, I mean, you can think of a number of other crazy fights where, you know, Couture coming out of retirement and getting a title shot, and, um, you know, Couture versus Tony, uh, Sonnen versus Jones. I mean, the list sort of goes on from there. There's a number of really aberrant, bizarre fights that have happened that are each in their own way problematic. And in some ways, you could probably argue that those fights gave rise to this one, right? I mean, there is this sort of by-the-book way of doing things. There is this order and this divisional maintenance that has to happen. And a lot of people think if you go down the roads of money fights, they think that what you're arguing is that, oh, what happens? is we'll only have those and we won't have the other one. That's such a simplistic glib analysis. That is not what any, any of us believe. It's not one or the other for another no reason than there are, there's just a limited number of fights of the money fight variety you can even make. Like you have to sort of go back one way or the other to, um, um, you know, common divisional maintenance. The problem is that in even in the case of, let's say, Jones, Sonnen, or Couture, uh, or you know, whatever the case may be, even then you can find, at a minimum, some kind of tenuous link for it to make sense. Now, what I mean by that is Couture did not deserve a title shot against Tim Sylvia coming out of retirement the way that he did. However, he at least was previously the heavyweight champ. He at least had some kind of history in that division. Same with Sonnen. You know, Sonnen was, you know to UFC fans, he was uh, a great middleweight, but he had an extensive ex- background to, against light heavyweights as well. That was not new territory for him, um, even if it was totally nonsensical and didn't need to happen. Uh, the other thing about Jones versus Sonic was that it was deeply uncompetitive, which we all knew it would be from the beginning. Now, he broke his toe, which was kind of crazy, but you get the idea. Like It wasn't the same kind of risk involved there. Um, and, and none of those are great things. None of those are very easily defensible. They are what they are. They're money grabs. By the way, I had no ability to put a sign on my door. Oh, I might have room service. So if they come, give me a second to deal with this. The live challenge of live TV, everyone. TV. Um, in any event. Um. There's at least some kind of connection you can draw. There's something binding it there. There's, there's literally nothing binding this, like nothing at all. Um, this is merely X and Y put together in a permutation that results in the greatest amount of both money in the short run and for potential other bouts that GSP or potentially Bisping might have. But more so, I think GSP. What this is really about. Um, you know, which seems to be a criminal, underrating of Michael Bisping, but that's another issue. Th- th- this is an algorithm put together to maximize cash flow. That's it. Like the, it, it has no other value. It has no other. It has no. Its existence is tied to that fundamental idea. Period. Uh, it has no existence beyond it. This is not about some interesting story. Yes, the return of GSP is, of course, interesting, but you don't need necessarily Michael Bisping and a host of other fighters to make that true. It's true on its own right. Right. Um, This is not about some deep rivalry. This is not about some kind of middleweight division bragging rights. This is strictly nothing more than an attempt to manipulate positions of where guys are to plug in and get electricity that that's it that it's got anyone who tries to argue anything else is just very confused uh and that is prob that is very very disconcerting for me um because now we are prostituting a ufc title to do it uh we are ignoring that we have a ready-to-go contender that it would make for all the things that I've mentioned are missing in this contest. The rivalry, the division bragging rights, right? So the meritocracy of the whole thing. Um, And so it gives me a lot of pause about what's going to happen. I also, like, could the fight be good? I I don't know. I mean, the fight could be great. I certainly can't say it'd be bad. I don't think it has anything. that's like, oh, man, it's going to be terrible. But, you know, you wonder if you get, I mentioned this, maybe you wonder if you get a bit of a Canelo Khan vibe on this one where um, I don't know what they think about St. Pierre. I, you know, and obviously the Tim Kennedy fight against Bisping showed that Bisping's take on defense, while they're very, very, very good, you know, has its limits like anything else. But still, I, I feel like this is Bisping. I mean, Bisping took it because it's a big paycheck, and I also think he likes his chances on this one. This feels very Mayweather-esque to me. It just feels so cravenly nonsensical to all the things that we care about uh, in terms of preserving sport. That it's so offensive. It's just offensive. Is really what it is, um, and the question is whether it's damaging. In the short run, I don't think it's damaging. I think when you really talk about the arguments against um, GSP versus Bisping, what you're really trying to do is you're saying, you know, look, whatever you thought about, and again, to, what, did did Couture versus Sylvia give birth to things like this? You know, I don't know. I don't know if you can really draw a straight line between them. But here's my point: this is such a deviation not merely from the norm, but from, frankly, best practices about uh, and not integrity in some kind of phony word. I mean about really manicuring and maintaining structure for product's sake, right? The middleweight division, if something bad happens here or someone gets injured and they can't compete, it, it could create a ton of chaos. When Conor McGregor did what he did, it was an incredible achievement, but it created a bit of a mess. At Featherweight for a while, which we're only now beginning to unfuck. I mean, it was a huge problem. You could have the exact same thing here happening. When you don't take the fights that are supposed to happen on the calendar in which they naturally set themselves up, you create problems. That's exactly what it's going to do. So th- th- it's more than just like some sort of like, you know, abstract notion of integrity. No, those are real trains leaving the station kind of concern here. But I think more than that, one of the reasons why people might like it is because they might think it will be a great fight. And it could be. It could end up being a great fight. I I don't dispute that. I I don't guarantee it, but I don't dispute it either. But for me, the bigger issue is um, you have to ask yourself what this reveals about WME's priorities. And yes, we know they wanted money. We know they have rent to pay, so to speak. I don't mean that. It's not merely that they're looking for money. That's fairly obvious. The question is, in the course of looking for money, to what extent are they going to do it to the point where it undermines the foundation of why people watch this? Are they really a fight promotion company or are they an event promotion company? They are very different things. We're going to find that out here. And The other part that really concerns me is that because this is so aberrant, in very fundamental respects. It's not aberrant in the sense that the UFC's gone off the beaten path and created other fights that didn't make sense. In that sense, it's very much not unique. But on the, on, the, on the very close examination of the particulars, there's nothing about this fight that makes sense other than a potential, and I don't think it would be that significant to be honest, but a potential financial windfall. That's its only function, its sole function in that sense, you need to begin to wonder what practices this might give rise to. What will this birth? What will happen as a consequence of this? What fighter down the line who begins to exert leverage will be able to look back at this one and use it as an, not merely as a direct sort of referencing, but you know, be able to surf off of the kind of precedent that's created as a consequence of these actions? I don't think we ever think about those things. It's not that you can't go off the beaten path Conor McGregor versus Eddie Alvarez made a lot of sense, right? Um, even though it did create some problems, although he had you know a number of other problems in terms of not defending it. But, um, but in and of itself, that jump had some concerns, but ultimately you could override them. I don't think you have any of those conditions meant here. Uh, not even close. And um, it's always hard to make an argument about something When you're asking people to like think about what's going to happen but we we turn the lock and flip the the handle here on pandora's box and and maybe what we'll find is that in the end things will basically stay what they are in which case great but i don't like playing with architecture like this i don't i don't i don't i'm not nearly as comforted by it i don't feel like um guys who have heavy pressure to meet financial demands you know, are able to take as seriously, even if they wanted to, the needs that go into some kind of financial restraint. That means one fights two and two fights three and three fights four and that kind of thing. Um, if you're so burdened by cost concerns, you, you cognitively push out all the other concerns that have to happen here. And, you know, if I'm with Yoel Romero, I'm probably real pissed today. Um, And if I'm Jacare, I'm real pissed today. Frankly, even if I'm Luke Rockhold, I'm pissed today. Uh, You know, this is, uh, I I really wonder, two, three, four, five years down the road, if we'll look back at this and say, it was no big deal. Maybe. Or maybe we'll look back on this and say, oof. You know, as we really begin to think about the money fights era, how many guys are going to take challenges in bizarre places Because there's a financial incentive to do so that creates havoc with the meritocratic bedrock. That is why the sport, in some ways, blew to prominence. Star power, probably, hold on a second, here they go. (laughs) I didn't have a do not disturb sign, so I don't know what to do. All right, let's get to these questions, shall we? Okay, questions. Let's do them. All right. Any word on if McGregor will be in attendance for 209? I don't think so. Someone says McNutt Huggers. Man, you just, have you ever walked into a room and go, hey, what's up? What's up, McNutt Huggers? It's like automatic. I'm not talking to that guy ever. You know, like there's no way. There's no way we'll converse. We're not even really part of the same species. Um there apparently is some Illuminati issue with Connor. I don't know. <laughs> GSP Belt Tour. He'll be Bisping, Connor, then Woodley retires a three way class champion and goat. Yeah, we'll see. I, I mean, who do y'all favor in GSP versus Bisping? I favor Bisping in that one. F- reasonably confident about that. I uh, never know, you know, so many unknowns about um GSP. You know, I thought Couture was going to lose to Sylvia too. Most people did at that time. I thought this is more competitive than that. I mean, people like really thought Randy had no chance. I don't think that. But I think basically I would be surprised if Michael's size advantage didn't ultimately play a significant role in how that fight transpires through takedown defense, through, you know, wearing down GSP, not to say nothing of how long he's been off. So... uh yeah, do, y- do y'all favor GSP in that one? Because I don't. We'll see. Luke, uh, get into what matters. Which would give you a more negative impression of a person if you saw them using it as a really more condiment questions? A1 or yellow mustard? Uh, also, what's the worst thing someone has tried to do in order to be a tough guy whilst rolling with you on the mat? Uh, worst tough guy thing? I don't know. I had someone once I put their knee in the bridge of my nose almost like a on belly on my face that hurt no that was like ridiculous um i mean it didn't last long but still it's just like dude what are, you, what are you doing you know um i'll say this about condiments did you see your president your president drives leaves the white house goes down pennsylvania avenue uh to his hotel that he owns goes to BLT Steakhouse, which is a very nice steakhouse. A buddy of mine went there who has very good taste and was like, dude, it's awesome. Orders a $54 steak, I believe, cooks it well done, and then puts ketchup on it. I mean, certainly as I speak to other Americans watching this, I don't really care if you're pro-choice or pro-life. I don't care if you're for or against the Second Amendment. I don't really care what side of the culture wars you're on. Maybe you think black lives matter. Maybe you think all lives matter. Maybe you think blue lives matter. Here's what I say unto you. Verily, hear me. We can all agree that putting ketchup on a well-done steak at age 70 plus, whatever he is, is an impeachable offense. Certainly you can follow me there, right? I mean, that literally, I joke about people having the palate of a toddler. That literally is how you have the palate of a toddler. I mean, did he order a side of nuggets and spaghetti? (laughs) Like, what? You ordered a $54 strip steak, and you cooked it to the point it was a hockey puck, and then you put ketchup on Do you understand what this is? Like, when you cook it well done, just for folks who do this still, you are cooking out all the things that give it flavor, and that's why you put ketchup on it, because you're trying to reintroduce flavor on top. Just, just so that's clear, that when you put A1 on a cooked steak, it's because you have cooked up the things that make it what it is, and you're now trying to re-inject flavor. So to do that with A1 is, you already know, I think you should get your teeth smashed you know, um, with brass knuckles. To do it with ketchup, and you're the leader of the free world, This, this is the, you should go to Guantanamo Bay for that. You should go to Guantanamo Bay and then get rectally fed for you know until you really learned your lesson all right how different will ground exchanges be for habib compared to the mj fight tony's physique his long arms in particular can cause interesting exchanges on the ground in what way will it affect habib's top game if he were to get tony to the ground will it be easier to trap the arm and more difficult to control the wrist i don't think in the way you're thinking about it the long arms will not be necessarily the thing to look at in that particular instance uh if you go back and you watch the monday morning analysts what i did was i went back and i looked at their losses now uh, obviously habib does not have any although people looked at the leason bow fight as one where he may, maybe arguably could have lost and i went back and i watched it and I just looked at some of the takedowns and, and why he had such a hard time with them what you saw in that fight was Habib likes to go to his left side, to the right leg of his opponents. He doesn't care if you have the underhook on that side because he's really good about leaning his weight and rotating his body into it to collapse it or taking his arm and then pinching it. You saw that in the MJ fight, and you saw that in the Daryl Horcher fight. He doesn't mind if you give the underhook on the same side as the leg. The problem was T-Bow was putting the underhook on the other side. He was putting the wizard on the leg side. And that underhook on the other side, it just meant – it just meant Habib couldn't quite complete the power connection he needed um, to properly get that takedown either from a balance or structural integrity standpoint. And it was just it was it was a nightmare for him the whole time. He was getting the underhook on the opposite side of the takedown. that really caused a lot of problems because Habib is strong, and he's going to find your leg and he's good on that one side where he bends his hips into you and then pinches the, uh, the, your underhook your under um he, he'll, he'll kill you with that he doesn't care it's the, it's the other side when he has a lot of problems will tony be able to do that certainly he 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 has the sufficient requisite uh technical, technical know-how, know-how, right, to right to do that kind of thing so i, I think so I think Partly, you wonder about how strong t Bell was maybe that was an issue there suspected t Bell like using pdds at that time i don't know um And landing more strikes—that was true before. People keep confusing this, uh, and this was true before. This has only been, you know, manifestly made more obvious the second time around. The pressuring of a fighter is only relevant to the extent that the effective striking is equal on both sides. As you go down the list of criteria, assuming there's no grappling or something like that, that's when that becomes more relevant. That this new scoring criteria wouldn't change that at all. Moreover, I don't know what complexion that fight's going to take. If you if you get if you back up the whole fight, but you drop someone, let's say, and the other person lands a bit more and pressures, that was it, that was the the same call before. That didn't change. Wonderboy's approach. Hey Luke, what would be your advice to Wonder Boy? As if that matters. A point fighter. I mean I appreciate the question, but A point fighter whose most likely route to victory is a decision on how to deal with a guy like Woodley who can KO him in a matter of seconds. How can he refrain from being too hesitant over five rounds whilst not allowing Woodley to land one hit and finish the fight? Um, So the couple things he mentioned to me were, number one, his weight. He was really light for that last fight. I think he walked to the cage with clothes on somewhere around 178. So he's probably closer to like 176. Something like that, um, maybe even less than that. And he just felt like he was hesitant to even, yes, he wanted to be outside, but even when he was up close with him, he just felt like there was a power differential. So this time he's, you know, he, he left for fight week, he told me, around 190. Um, so he's going to be a, lo- a lot bigger this time. He's going to have more of a cut, but he, you know, I think he can manage it. Um, so that's the first part. The second part was because I, I think he thought uh, Tyron's speed was going to be overwhelming. And what he said about Tyron's speed was that it was good. It was very explosive. But it wasn't that, like, on pure quickness, Tyron was better. It was that his timing was actually really good. So if you have someone who's explosive and they have good timing, it can, it can cause problems. But he wasn't naturally a quicker guy. Um, that was one part. So to be physically able to do more with your wrestling as a consequence of bulk, which is a real thing has its limits, but it's a real thing. The other one that he had pointed out to me was that he wants to change his kicking approach. He thought last time he just wasn't using his kicks appropriately, which is to say he would probe with them, he would you know sort of chuck them out there, but they weren't designed to sting and help him exit out of a corner or exit out of a, at a different direction. This this time, what he says is I mean, he didn't give me the plan, but you know he thinks it's, it makes more sense for him to to crack Woodley and then get out rather than sort of do the things he does before, which is maybe flick it and then you know, flick it, whatever you know, testing things. This would be a little bit less to think about testing. Certainly, you want to keep up appearances to confuse the guy, but um, I think what he's looking to do is just be more offensively frequent, even if that means slowly chipping away at a guy um rather than sort of waiting for an opportunity to unload or you know one big combination where you can land seven strikes at once seems to me is much more interested in jab inside kick or you know whatever variety of kicks he throws um, and then being quick about it being disciplined about it being accurate about it and getting out of the way and then just slowly wearing on a guy um that's what it seems to me like he'll be doing this time I guess we'll have to wait and see on on Saturday night looking forward to it. that fights so good all right, Ferguson's game plan. Look, what do you think Tony Ferguson can take away from Michael Johnson's early success against Habib? Johnson was able to find some success with his length and quickness early before Habib was able to close the distance. Uh, will Tony be able to use his even longer reach to frustrate Habib in similar ways? You know, Michael Johnson and Tony strike so similar Um I also don't think that was a very good demonstration of how good Habib is on the feet, either, to be honest. Not that Habib is, like, super awesome on the feet, but better than what he showed. Um, But, yeah, to your point, Johnson was able to have some success with his length and quickness. More his quickness. And more Habib sort of staying in place as well. uh, Before Habib was able to close the distance. Um, I don't know. I mean, yes, Tony will be able to find some of those openings. But they just strike in so radically different ways. Uh, okay, all quiet on the flyweight front. Luke, do you expect to hear a bout announcement for Mighty Mouse anytime soon? Won't be the Horaguchi rematch. Or a fight. It would seem like the only two choices are a Joe B trilogy fight or a Wilson Hayes matchup. Neither are terribly compelling. Do you think it is likely for them to throw up a young Brandon Moreno or Sergio Pettis in lieu of a top contender? No doubt about it. I mean, I don't know if they're going to pick those two, but there is no doubt that those guys might get a call up. They've been throwing guys to the Wolves since before. They've been throwing guys to the Wolves. You know, John Moraga got a shot at Demetrius Johnson off of Facebook. Uh, so that would hardly be new. And frankly, at this point, might almost be necessary. Someone says, if I may intervene, I would personally throw Cejudo into that proverbial mix because in my eyes, he beat Joby soundly. It was a close scrap, but I thought Henry won. I did, I did too, actually. I'd actually do Cejudo versus Hayes for number one contender. That'd be fun. Um, someone says, Mayweather versus Connor. who cares? And they write an exclamation point versus question mark, which is what it should be. What's up, Luke? I'm sick of this Floyd versus Conor talk. I don't want to see that fight. Don't we have enough fights that haven't happened in the UFC to take care of before we start talking about Floyd versus Conor? Let Conor defend his belt one time at least, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, look, someone asked this question the other day. They're like, oh, I'm tired of updates about this. Okay, it's not that. Okay, there we go. They're freaking me out with this audio issue. Now I'm all paranoid. It's not that we need for Connor versus Floyd every single update imaginable. TMZ, oh, Connor takes a dump and says, you know, um, (laughs) feels like I just Mayweathered or, you know, something. I mean, whatever they do, they're sort of in, like, total masturbatory updates about nothing. Uh, Okay, yeah, you don't need stuff like that. But, like, the truth of the matter is, Floyd versus Connor is getting a lot of coverage. You know, it's not even a real fight yet, but it's getting a lot of coverage for a lot of nonsense reasons and also a lot of good reasons. Like there are reasons to talk about it. There are reasons to examine like why it matters, why it's so interesting, what it says about the two sports that this is sort of front and center in a way that nothing else really is and um, what could happen with the Ali Act, and what does it say about potential collective bargaining and organizing for fighters? And um, and maybe the answer is that after examination, not much, but it still merits going through those motions. Now, I think we're at a point where we've done most of that already. So now we're at a point where it's like, you know, are you going to S or get off the pot? I, you know, that's up to those guys. But um, if you're fatigued with it because you've already done the exercise of talking about, the ways in which this matters, fair enough. But if you're just saying there's nothing about this fight worth discussing in any condition whatsoever, I don't. I don't agree with that. Um, has Paige Vanzett left Alpha Male? Not to my knowledge, but I have not caught up with her at all. Uh, this is exactly my view as well. Luke, UFC 209 is stacked, and that includes the prelims. Uh, well, that's not my view, but this part is my view. However, I feel like the fight pass portion is better than the FS1 portion. That is definitely true. The first fight pass bout features former CES Bantamweight champion Andre... Okay, I never pronounce his name correctly. Uh, Sukhamthoth... Whatever, I can't pronounce it against Albert Morales in a battle of finishers. The second bout features recent tough contestant Amanda Cooper against unbeaten prospect Cynthia Calvillo. And the final five pass bout features a pair of unbeaten line heavyweight submission specialists in Paul Craig and Tyson Pedro. Meanwhile, I wouldn't call them submission specialists exactly, but they have good submissions. Meanwhile, the FS1 prelims feature one fight that should be really fun, Luke Sanders versus Yuri Alcantara, I agree, an intriguing bout between Mirsad Bechtish and Darren Elkins. Intriguing, yes, but I think it'll be boring. However, the pair of heavyweight fights between the four relatively unknown fighters could be downers, since a lot of Ty burrows fights tend to be lackluster, in my opinion. Luke, am I exaggerating or is the Fight Pass portion of UFC 209 much more appealing than the FS1 slate? Yeah, totally. I wonder if it's a part because there's a lot of, you know, um, you know Tyson Page was an international guy, maybe that's why they want to put it on Fight Pass. Um, I don't. I don't know what they're thinking. Is there? You know, let's have heavyweights on free TV versus having you know light heavyweights and and women on fight pass. I don't. I can't make sense of the logic there. I don't know how that card got put together in the way that it did. To me, it's not coincidental that heavyweight fights are going on TV, even though they are usually pretty terrible. But um, but yes, the fight pass portion is good, and the main card is great. The FS one portion is a little bit nubs. Uh, expecting for Evans, Luke. What do you expect to see from Rashad Evans on Saturday against Dan Kelly, who's also pushing forty, but isn't nearly as shop-worn. Oh, I think he is shop-worn. He might not be MMA shop-worn, but he. I had an interview with him, and I joked about. It. I was like, "How much tape do you go through in a month?" I mean, this guy. You know, KT should sponsor this guy for the amount of tape tape gains. that that should be his nickname. Dan tape gains Kelly, I mean that my man is making some tape gains out there. Uh, you know, you do four Olympic cycles, bro. Judo is brutal on the body. Um, he won't even do. He told me in training, he won't even do a lot of the same kinds of uh, throws and training or anything like that anymore because it's just so hard on his body. It's so brutal on him. He'll teach judo and he'll do a little bit of ground like randori, but he's not he's not doing hardly any throws at all, because it's just been getting clubbed, you know, for the better part of 20 years almost. Uh, And so to me, that's a real liability for him, that, you know, he hasn't taken a ton of, like, punches to the face. So in that sense, he's not shot born. But, um, you know, he's got physical limitations as a consequence of extensive athletic experience as well. And Rashad Evans, I'm expecting something like Tim Kennedy, to be honest, somewhere like that. now the difference is Tim Kennedy fought, you know, a light heavyweight, but Kelvin Gastelum, who's like in his, I mean, not, not even in his prime yet, you know, but you know that that kind of youthful thing. This one's a little bit better because it's older guy versus older guy. Uh, I'm expecting something like what we saw from Tim Kennedy. I would love to be wrong because um, obviously we all have a very high opinion of Rashad and and what he's done. I'm not guaranteeing it'll be. I'm not, Luke says it'll be just like Tim Kennedy. No, I'm not. Um, but my, my hunch, my fear is kind of a little bit like that. I think this is a very winnable fight for Dan uh, Kent, um, Dan Kelly, and um, I don't know that I would favor him to win, but seems very, very doable. I, I find it competitive. I'll put it that way. Very competitive. Kirk Cousins situation. Luke, what should your Redskins do with Kirk Cousins? Well, they already botched it, and they franchise tagged him yesterday. Um, who knows what they're going to do, man, after this? I thought they should have signed him last season. Now they're having to tag him and give him, what, 24 mil? Because they botched it last time. But, you know. Also, Scott McLuhan. Chris Cooley goes out there and tells says to the media, I don't know if Scott McLuhan's drinking, but I think he's drinking. <laughs> and the team doesn't challenge it at all. Oh, God. Oh, God. All right, MMA media meta question. This ought to be good. Luke, well, I understand the necessity for all MMA outlets to generate traffic. Do you? Do you understand that? How do you personally navigate the often gray area between actual headlines and clickbait? I understand there must be pressure from employers directed towards writers to generate... This is a very easy question to answer. Toward writers to generate a certain amount of traffic, how does one, in this case you, go about doing this responsibly? It seems a lot of smaller outlets simply find ways to insert McGregor into headlines. To boost their SEO, when many of these stories are actually non-story clickbait, yeah. Well, you should know if you go to like I forget the name of this website. I don't. I, want, I don't want to say the name because it's not correct, but there's a, there's one website out there that, I mean, literally you cannot trust the thing that they put out, and I'm not even talking about BJPenn.com, which is another one, but it's addition to that. Like if you really look, there's the the SB Nation sites, right? MMA Fighting, Bloody Elbow, Mania. There's Junkie, there's Sure Dog. And there's some other ones out there. Bleach Report does some good work. Uh, who am I forgetting? I know I'm forgetting somebody. But really, you know, and I, you might call those the mainstream ones. Obviously, Brett DSPN, ESPN, things like that. Those are really the only ones you need to read. Like, the, occasionally you'll see some other ones who produce some good work independently. And God bless them when they do, they should be highlighted and glorified for it. But if you're looking for people who have, like, a stake at their reputation, um, that's, you know, you could say, oh, well, look, that's just, you know, you're biased because you're part of that group, right? Well, I'm part of that group for a reason, because I believe that those institutions take much better care about being careful about the work they produce and then owning up to it when they get it wrong um, and believe that they have a responsibility to the reader. This is a very, very easy question to answer. Um, is it difficult to walk this line? No. Look, here's the line that I always walk. I don't want to put up a headline that is uninteresting. I want you to read it i want you to watch it i would like you to see what i have produced but number one i'm trying to produce good content to begin with so the labeling on the content you know i'm not trying to put a fair label on bad content i'm trying to put a fair label on what i hope is good content content made at what i hope is a high level for mass consumption that it it gives something of value there or reports you know news in some kind of way of value it does something of substance there. It doesn't have to be the most substance ever, but it has you know, some kind of um, real value, like my Technique talk with Ben Askren and number Nurmagomedov. I want you to read that. I feel like Ben Askren had some things to say. Whether you agree or disagree, he certainly had a very interesting perspective. Right? That, I, I want you to be engaged with it, but what I won't do is I won't say anything I feel like doesn't represent what Ben was trying to say and doesn't represent what the piece is really about. And it's really quite simple. As long as you stay within those boundaries, it's not hard to write interesting headlines. Eventually, some people get it wrong. These are sites that are run by primates. There are eventually going to be errors where they don't get that balance right, but it's basically, basically not that hard. You're not gonna hit a home run every time, but it's you basically get it right. Um, that That's really it. It's how do I stay honest to what he was saying how do I stay fair to the subject and the subject matter, and yet create a headline that I think might engage you? Uh, and I don't think trying to engage you is mischievous or uh, unethical. I think it's actually like the right thing to do, especially if you really are producing something of value. If you're a journalist up there, you've got a great scoop or you've written a great feature. You, you want to write something that gets me to, to like to look at it. It's a competition for time and ideas. It's a you know. That's what we're doing here. You have a a limited amount of attention dollars, and I want you to spend them with me, and I need to sell that to you. I just can't sell it to you under dishonest means. And as long as you sort of understand those ethical constraints, it basically takes care of itself. Anyone who says they struggle with it probably just doesn't have a good grasp of, like, what a lot of people, man, a lot of people have really bad. I mean, I hate to say this. A lot of people have really bad listening and reading comprehension skills. And so they struggle to make headlines because they don't really understand what the essence was of what someone was trying to say or what they just heard. And so they kind of get a little piece of it and, you know, and YouTube, God, man, if you have a podcast, it's almost a guaranteed lock. Your stuff's getting stolen and putting on YouTube. Even if you think it's totally insignificant or you did something on Facebook, people are ripping and stealing everything. And every headline on YouTube is so-and-so blasts so-and-so. X exposes and destroys Y. If you see that, you know you are dealing with unserious people. You don't need to click on it ever. There's never a reason to click on something like that. Inherently, you are dealing with people who have a worldview where they don't care about the subject matter. They don't care about their relationship to it. They don't care about their viewership or listenership or readership. They don't care about any of those things. They just care about... That's it. That's it. Your existence to them is entirely transactional. And at MMA Fighting, I don't think we're trying to do that. I think we're trying to, like, curry a reader base that we actually do have a relationship to. And if you're going to have a relationship with something or someone, there's a degree of trust that comes from, you know, a verified history of actions about it. Fergie versus Nurmi. One good side effect to all these silly interim belts is that we get more five-round fights. Does the co-main event being five rounds give an advantage to Tony? Yes. With his superior cardio and ability to adjust, or does it just give Habib more attempts to get the fight to the ground and execute his own game plan? I mean, a little bit of both, I suppose, but more so, he gives the advantage to Tony. Tony can turn it on in the fifth round in ways I don't think almost anyone in um, MMA can. And someone says, is Tony's cardio superior, not being a troll, but aside from the fact that Tony has gone five rounds where Habib is not, what exactly has led you to believe that Habib's cardio is not on point? I think Habib's cardio is good. But for Dos Anjos, excuse me, for Ferguson to do what he did to Dos Anjos in the sky, if you've never done anything at elevation, you just can't appreciate it. Uh, and I've never done anything like that. It's insane. It's totally insane. It's, re- it's absurd and insane. And, you know, he was breathing like it was nothing. Imagine what he can do at a lower level of elevation. It's going to be shocking, I think. Unless he gets hurt in some way. Um, just watching SportsCenter, apparently getting away, will make a big announcement. What's your take on this big announcement? Yeah, it's GSB versus Bisping. Yay! Oh, God. That fight. Mm. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Let's hope it's not that big a deal in the end, I guess. I think I answered this before. I don't know if I was muted. Someone says, our president apparently likes to eat well-done steak with ketchup. Is this worse than using A1 sauce? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's an impeachable offense. 209's impact. How important is it to the new regime at UFC that 209 does well? 209 is not going to do that well. Uh, Just Let's be absolutely clear about this. This seems to be by far their biggest promotional effort minus the McGregor Rousey. Is it a win or a failure for the new FC if the numbers are just average? They're going to be just average. There's just not enough star power here. Not yet. Now, I think the winner of this co-main event, and maybe in the main event, will put themselves in position potentially for a bigger fight against someone else down the line. They could become bigger stars who can do bigger things. But right now, that's not where we're at. We're at a place now where, yes, I actually give the USC credit. I do think they have tried really hard to promote this fight, and they've done a, a pretty good job, man. Um, but I talked to some journalists here yesterday who live here, and they were saying, like, if it's not Conor or Ronda, Las Vegas just doesn't really get up for it. Like, There's more than... You know whatever was for 208 in in uh, what you call it in New York, but it's not. It's I mean it's super high quality. Like and we have to give the UFC credit for promoting something and putting something together like this, especially when they just announced GSP versus Bisping. But um, it's not going to do super well. It's just not. It might do okay. It might even do like better than average. You know maybe even good ish, but it won't do well. Doesn't have any of the ingredients to do well. Masvidal Maya. I keep forgetting Masvidal actually has an excellent ground game. He even submitted Chiesa with a Dars a few years ago. What's your assessment of Masvidal's takedown defense versus the crafty unorthodox takedown style of Maya? Do you think Masvidal will be able to keep the fight on the feet? And if Maya gets it to the ground, do you think Masvidal can do what Nils- Nelson, Magny Brown, and Condit couldn't stop the rear naked choke? I do agree that Masvidal has better takedown defense than basically all of those guys. But I still think that Maya I don't think Maya will be able to finish him, but I think Maya will get him down as needed and get to his back. Yeah. I do. I do think is gonna win that one. Um, but you know, that's a tough fight, man. And you gotta give credit to Masvidal. Like, yes, he needs to fight a big name to get to the next level, to a spot where he could become a real contender in that division. But he wants to do it against Demi and Maya. <laughs> Ooh. That is tough, man. That is tough. And poor Maya. Waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and just can't get a title shot. Someone sent me an email. I put it down later in the in the thread. It's going to get lost because I think um, um there's too many questions. But he was like, are people forgetting how bad the title shot was against Anderson Silva, and is that affecting how Demi and Maya you know may or may not get a title shot? And I certainly can't rule that out. But I don't think so. Like Demi and Maya fought totally differently back then. He fought like a, you know, he was striking with Anderson Silva, and you know, it just—it was a poor effort from a guy who was trying to figure out his skill set for MMA at the time. He has completely changed, or gone back to what he originally once was. Anyway, gone full circle, I guess, something like that. So to me, it's like I understand. What, uh, yes, I mean, there's definitely a history there with that, which you can't pretend doesn't exist. But at the same time, I kind of feel like. Uh, um, it's not really relevant to the guy you have out there today I think this is just a bigger issue of a, a you know nice guy awesome grappler um, you know UFC has a hard time promoting guys like that whether they have a hard time promoting guys like that because that's ultimately not what the fan base wants or because that is not um, That's just a hard thing to promote generally. Or they have some sort of like inability to do it themselves, right? Like the UFC is not good at it. I don't know the answer to that. And you could say, well, look, GSP is one of those guys. But GSP wasn't originally that guy. He was originally like the all-around guy. And, you know, he was this sort of phenom. I mean, go back and watch some of his fights. Like, I mean, yeah, the one with Caro took place a lot on the ground, but it was aggressive. He, you know, bludgeoned. Frank Trigg and Jay Huron and Sean Shirk and I mean he was amazing it was like it wasn't until later he became this takedown guy I mean, He had takedowns before but like almost a, primarily a takedown guy and Maya I think tried to make some of those same transitions and couldn't and also you know GSP had youth and like good looks and Demi and mean, Maya used to be a, tra- a journalist right it's gonna be hard can we start making wagers with you Absolutely not. Something to the effect, you pick any five fights and they're winners, and we go on a Luke Thomas social media sharing spree. If you lose, you go back to the goatee of 2004, I'll allow your recent Shaw picture. doesn't have to be that, but something to the effect, it could be fun and competitive. There's no chance I'm doing that. I'm not a good gambler. I don't like gambling. I think gambling's for donks, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're going to a place where you know over time you're losing, you know, um, I mean, I guess like the very best might not be that way, but for 99% of you, you're just giving your money away. You know, I'm gonna go to the casino and just root for the house, like take their money, take the donks' money. People always ask me like, why don't you like Las Vegas? It's like, well, I don't like gambling, um, I don't like people, uh, I don't like donks. Uh, I I like to drink alone. This place has, you know, or at least part of the city that I'm in has absolutely no culture whatsoever. Uh, It's nothing but a giant Times Square mixed with Bourbon Street, but all the charm of the French Quarter removed. You know, it's it's a place of nothingness. If you don't gamble, like I can't even be like, yeah, I'm going to go to the local library. I mean, I'm sure there is one in the city, but you know, I'm not going to take an Uber to get there. This is what this is what I'm talking about. Like, I'm not that kind of person, man. Now, now I'm sure there's a, a people who live in the city nearby Henderson, and they're like, "Oh, that's just, that's just the strip." Yeah, I get that, you know. But that's the part of the city that I have to interact with. I don't get to interact with the rest of the city. When we go to other cities, I'm not stuck on certain places. When we go to fights in New York, I can go see the city, right, or you know, whatever the case may be. But Las Vegas is really just an armpit, and it attracts it attracts uh, terrible people. I'm one of them, but. It sucks. I hate it. Um, all right. Death in the octagon. I know Dana White always says that MMA is not as dangerous as boxing, that there has never been a serious death or injury inside the octagon. My question is, If what if there is a death inside the octagon in its future? What ramifications would it have on the sport? Would it destroy completely because of negative public perception? I don't think so. I think at this point, there's probably been enough goodwill established and enough of a... You know, they're part of the firmament now of mainstream sports in a way they never were. I mean, if this had been maybe seven or eight, nine years ago, I don't know if that would have been true. Um, I think the fact that you lose high school kids every year and to heat exhaustion in high school American football or, you know, whatever the case may be, um, I, you know, these are troubling things that people ultimately overlook for whatever the case. But I, I do think that, like, you know, certain... How do I explain this? People have very confused moral priorities. Um, so for example, a lot of you might know of the work of Sam Harris, who uh, I think provides some interesting perspective on a variety of issues, other ones not so much. But um, one of the points he's tried to make is that like, he's not for torture, but that there is an ethical confusion between um, saying that uh, he's not really bothered by the waterboarding of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. When in fact, um, we have a very glib attitude towards collateral damage, right? So if a bomb is dropped in some sort of foreign country and it kills five people who just happen to be near a terrible person, we don't have a moral outrage. You know, it's not blared across the headlines of the world that look at what we've done. When in fact, that is a significantly greater moral harm. Um, than waterboarding a guy who has fairly deep ties to uh, organized world terror. Um, and so in a similar kind of way, there are just conditions that make UFC prone to extra and I think ultimately unfair scrutiny that don't justify what, or that, don't, that aren't supported by the, the larger body of work. I mean, people are really hurt in cheerleading. People are going to get massively screwed up and die all the time every year, number of deaths in, um, in football. There's a number of uh, paralyzations that happen in high school football as well as collegiate football. These are real things that happen, the paralyzations. And uh, people largely ignore because it's, I think, um, seen as fairly aberrant, some sort of horrible accident. This is something that is tied to the bedrock of American culture. And so it's largely forgiven. And MMA doesn't have that kind of relationship to the culture. It doesn't have that kind of relationship, frankly, to our academic institutions, right? There's a game where someone at the University of Michigan is injured in some kind of way. This is part of like, you know, this is this is tied to our deep-rooted lives and community. It doesn't have that. Plus, its sole purpose is, you know, fist fighting is something that happens in the real world. This is something that it takes that and puts some rules and athleticism around it, but it's a real thing that ultimately happens. We just give it a new name. Football's a game, you know. Um, but ultimately, the question should be, like, what happens to the participants? And the record of achievement, such as, we, we can call it that, in MMA is pretty great, uh, relative to its many of its sporting peers. So I do think it would face extra scrutiny. People have confused moral priorities. But, uh, but I think, at this point, it's got enough protection to survive. It has elevated itself to a position where it can be protected, and it's got a record long enough now, where you can say, "Wow, because it is so aberrant, right? We've gone this long. You've seen this many people go through this many activities without any issue. It did happen, and I think it's inevitable that it will, of course. And what in what capacity or you know state? I don't know, but um, it, it, this is going to happen. Uh, the question is." Um, you know, how bad is the fallout? I think the fallout will be bad, but not not ruinous. It will not be ruinous. And I suspect that the UFC has a plan of action in place, you know. Um, Dominic Cruz has been exposed. I will move on from that. Uh, Habib at 170. Look, I've heard you repeat Daniel Cormier's testimony about Nurmagomedov's grip strength. Strong for even weight classes above 155. How might he fare with big 170-pound grapplers like Woodley, Maya, and Lawler? I think they're probably a little bit too big. I think he is very, very strong, but he doesn't have a huge, a huge frame. So he excels for his size, but you're taking away some of those natural advantages by pushing him to a weight class he doesn't belong in. Plus, I think Maya is a significantly better grappler anyway. You know, um, If you have to compare the current... If you have to compare the current Bellator to a UFC of the past, where would the organization rank? I.e., Bellator 2017 is the equivalent of the Tito Ortiz era UFC, and with their current trajectory, will Bellator be able to compete in the pay-per-view space? I mean, it's impossible to compare because they're set radically different things. Like we're talking about—I mean, the UFC was always a fairly dominant player in the market, maybe not always the number one, but you know, we're talking about organization in Bellator that puts on what almost 40 shows a year. When was UFC doing that at any point before 20, 2011? Um, oh, sorry, um, yeah, like when were they doing that? And even then, you can't compare the UFC to that point. You have to go back to, you know, we're talking about strength of the roster, you could go back many, many years. Um, but even then, it wouldn't, it wouldn't match the advantages that Pride did have so many advantages, but even then, it wouldn't be quite this. This is really unprecedented territory, this huge gap between one and two At a time when yet number two can produce, let's say roughly forty weeks of action uh, internationally. There's no precedent. There's no there's no historical antecedent by which you can look at that and say these are these are very alike things. One gave rise to another, and it became something different after the fact. It's like sort of looking at which butterflies compared to these caterpillars. I mean, they might turn into butterflies uh, or something, Um, but. You get what I mean? They're fundamentally just two different things. Diaz Brothers. Do you know when the Diaz Brothers will fight again? <laughs> no, I don't. But right, I'm going to try and go to that High Times thing on uh, or that uh, Cannabis Cup um, thing on Friday. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go as press. I'm not going to go as a fan. I'm only going to go if I can go as press, so I'll see what I can do. And if I get there, I will try to ask them. I DM them time to time. They follow me on Twitter, but I never respond. How good is Habib in the rubber guard? We're going to find out. We are going to find out. Uh, Okay, it is 11.15 where I am, 2.15 on the West Coast. Let's go to the Twitter machine to see what we got. So I got a thousand things saying my mic is out. I'm so sorry about that, guys. I don't know what the hell – I don't know what happened, but it happened. Thoughts on Ariel's Greg Hardy interview, if you heard it. If not, thoughts on his potential as an athlete I thought Ariel did the best he could to hold his feet to the fire. I don't really believe anything Greg Hardy says, and I'm just curious – I mean, I am curious to see what it looks like as an athlete, but he's still talking about, like, ah, I may go back and do football if the, if the opportunity is – which, admittedly rare, might happen. And I don't think that will happen, but, you know, I don't know. I don't – Something about this just feels so desperate and unserious to me. Tony way more difficult an opponent for Habib than Connor. See, I actually see it a little bit differently. I think, I think uh, Tony is a more difficult opponent. Yes, sorry, I misunderstood your question. I actually think Tony matches up more difficult ways for Habib than he does for Connor. I think Habib is a tougher matchup for Connor than Tony is because Tony will, Tony like has the skills to do things to give Connor trouble, of course, so does Habib. But Habib is very focused and direct and does those things in a focused and direct way where there's the biggest skill disadvantage for Connor. Now, he may get chewed up on the feet, of course, but you know what I mean. With Tony, if Tony wanted to fight that way, he could, but he takes such risks and he leaves himself open in certain ways sometimes because he's so confident in his abilities. You saw what someone like Lando Venata can do. That kind of tells me that would be a tougher fight for him. Um, then um, I think the, the, the Tony and Khabib is very, very competitive. Tony and Connor less so, Khabib and Connor more so. That's just my hunch, but we'll have to see what ends up happening on Saturday. Can we assume GSP best won't be during International Fight Week? as that usually sells anyway? Mm, events sell when there's something of importance to, to be sold there. People don't, people don't show up because, hey, it's International Fight Week. Oh, who's fighting? Uh, it's, you know, it's uh, Cody McKenzie versus, uh, you know, Micah Miller or something. No, that's not what people are showing up for. Who do you think sealed the deal contractually for GSP to come back? I don't know. I am curious to see what happens with his, um, with his uh, Under Armour stuff. We'll see about that. Uh, What's the future for Yoel and Jacare? Probably a rematch. Now, Yoel says his manager, Malky, told me he's going to sit. We'll see about that. We'll see about that. Apparently, this is breaking news. Is it true Misha Serkanov has re-signed with the UFC? Is that true? Is that really true? I hope it's true. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Yes, it is true, apparently. Yeah, told you that would happen. What did I say on this before? Told you. Do you think UFC 209 would have done better with the canceled Friday supporting it? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't think so. I don't know that it would have tremendously made a difference. What you would want is to have something on Saturday that would be really big. That then would be this Halo download to Friday. Um, that, that's not really what you get here in terms of like size and grandeur. You see Greg Hardy being the next contender. You'll see heavyweight division next two years. I do. Why? He hasn't fought once. Oh, my God. It's a ton of downvotes on this thing. Sorry about the audio, y'all. I, you know what? You have every right to downvote it. I mean, I'm, I jacked it up. I don't know how I jacked it up, but I jacked it up. Sorry about that. I am truly sorry. If you managed Joel and Maya, would you have said to wait for a title shot or take a fight while you wait? Uh, I mean, it depends what they want. I would always just advise them to... Um, to wait. Up to a point, though. Like, you know, you're, you're with Demian Mai and you wait and then there's a draw. Like, what are you supposed to do then, you know? GSP fight is a travesty. How can, how much blame do you place on GSP who claimed he wasn't coming back for the money? <laughs> well, for GSP, there is something here, like, you know, there is something of a technical challenge. In. I mean, he is the one jumping up a weight class here. You know, I guess in his mind, maybe he thinks this is, like, a real interesting, novel approach to doing things. I'm not really entirely sure but uh, these guys and their own motivations are to me totally irrelevant. Like Michael Bisping has a family to take care of and he has money he wants and he's got limited lot of time left in the sport and like what are you going to do you're going to be mad at a guy for trying to do better his life and GSP has whatever motivations GSP has. I just know more about Michael cuz I've actually spoken to him about it but um but that's irrelevant relevant like what they want is is one thing what what the sport benefits from and what i think the consumers well when i say the consumers it's gonna be interesting what the consumers do here but ultimately what the stewards of the sport value i think uh is the bigger issue to me oh god There's like a 1,000 you've lost audio tweets. Oh, God. God. From your experience, who are the worst type of people in MMA and BJJ gyms? The people who do nothing but that. People who's, li- I mean, if you're a competitor, it's different, you know? The people whose like, lives are, you know, those kinds of things. And, and like, you know, and they're an accountant or, uh, you know, what do you do for a living? Oh, I, I'm i a computer programmer. And like, they just, and look, there's nothing wrong with like becoming excellent at something and like um, digging your life into it and getting better at it. Actually, there's something quite noble about that part. But these people you inevitably find, you can't even converse with them because they have nothing to say about the wider world except about, hey, did you see the new Braulio Steamwag hook grip change on the pant leg, you know, just all this, all this stuff. It's crazy. Um, (laughs) There are literally, honestly, 20,000 tweets about the audio being out. Oh, God. I have a two-year-old, and even he won't eat steak uh, well done with ketchup. It's actually a criminal offense in SD. Yeah, you should be force rectally fed in Guantanamo Bay if you're an official who's been elected to serve the government and you put ketchup on a $54 steak. I can scarcely think of anything more un American than that. And he should be declared an enemy combatant. Um, after Amir Ali Akbari's knockout loss to the ghost of Krokop, can he officially be labeled a bust? No. No chance. Question is, you know, how committed to MMA is he? I don't know how committed he is. You know, this is a guy who had a number of doping problems that ultimately forced him to be exiled from, no, not even exiled, excommunicated from organized wrestling to now going into uh, MMA. But he's got a ton of talent. Oh, (laughs) here we go. Somebody tell Luke his mic is dead during the chat. He's going off. Next tweet. I imagine you aren't checking the thread regularly, but the audio is gone from the podcast. Yes, thank you. Is Habib versus Tony the fight with the most combined skill in MMA history? I don't know, but it's it's up there. It is up there. For all the reasons I've already articulated a thousand times with how great this division is globally, not really in the UFC, how these two guys are positioned, you know, Conor McGregor notwithstanding at the very top of it, um, the ways in which Tony's approach sort of, uh, you know, Best represents modern MMA, and then you have in Habib this sort of like he's like a modern throwback in many kinds of ways and has a grasp of grappling that almost no one else has in terms of takedowns in all of MMA. And you know, undefeated 9-5 win streak, I mean, it's just like it's every, it's everything. It's everything. Uh, Your audio cut out, Uh, sound is out. Next one, no sound. Uh, Please touch on your disdain for Las Vegas. I already did. True or false? I agree that we need some ream and hunt on the UFC 209 embedded. These dudes are legends, right? Uh yeah, but I don't think I don't, I don't think they're gonna be doing too much hunt promotion. I could be wrong about that, but I don't know. Was there ever a title fight more certain to go to a decision than GSP Bisping? Ooh. Hmm. I have to think about that one. That's a good one. Uh, it's up there. We could also end up with an interim title at middleweight if anything goes wrong. True. That is absolutely true. Rampage said on Twitch that John Jones and Rousey got biblical. Have you heard that rumor? I don't even know what that means. GSP versus Bisping is living proof that WME doesn't see the UFC as sport. Um, wouldn't argue with that too much. When do you think Nunes and Shevchenko will face off? Also, where does the division go from there? I would I would like that to be part of a larger press event. I don't know if they're going to do one or not. Um, from there, you have a number of different ways you could go. I don't think I don't think Pena is that far out of the uh, the rankings. Um, certainly, Holm could be reintroduced back there. Um, Kadzangano is going to have a big fight coming up. There's there's some possibilities there. Lee, man. Would you like... What the hell? Would you like commenting some MMA fights? I don't know what that means, but no. March 4th is the day the top fighters of the two combat sports of the hardest weight classes are fighting. Why hasn't anyone noticed? I'm pretty sure everyone has noticed. What is stopping WME from adding celebrity MMA? They already... Well... I guess the Zufa regime added it with CM Punk, but it would sell big and fights could be for charity, i.e. tax deductible. I actually called the fight. um, I actually called the fight uh, for, poorly, I might add, for Jason David Frank, who was the Green Power Ranger. And what was interesting about that was I think that was, God, I could be wrong about this. I think that was the card where Mike Easton fought Chase Beebe, which to this day remains, in my judgment, the biggest robbery in the history of, Professional mixed martial arts, um, and I believe on the prelim card it was um, that was an amateur fight, and Jason David Frank fought some last minute guy and hurt his back. It was oh uh, it was a sad tale, but um, nevertheless, that was a that was a huge draw. It was a huge draw. Um, people were really wanted to see it. Like there was a huge market for it. Like, There's a big market for that kind of thing. I don't know who the proper promoter is to put that on if there is one i certainly don't think it's the ufc but if you're asking like is there money to be made there i mean in some ways that's almost what the old man circuit in bellator is now those are those were guys who were at one time were credentialed fighters but you know certainly can't compete with the very best by interest imagination in other sports you know you typically like if you can't win wimbledon and you can't even start place at wimbledon you just begin to go away from the sport in mma we have a different kind of attraction to it um but but yeah, like there's definitely for for someone who wants to make some cash off doing that, it's easy. How much would the size influence the GSP versus Bisping fight? I think significantly. Michael Bisping is not that small, uh, and GSP is not that big. I mean, GSP is well muscled for one hundred and seventy, or at least he was in his prime. But um, there is a significant height and, and size disadvantage there for for GSP. They are not they are not the same size. Trust me, not even close. Not even close. I wanna read some more of these tweets about how people are bitter about my audio. These are great. Let's see, how, when, how early did these start? Sound is back, you lost it for 12 minutes. Just got the audio back, was out for 14 minutes. You've been on mute for 10 minutes, this is hilarious. The chat lost sound. There has been no audio for 10 minutes <laughs> The story of my stupid career, isn't it? Uh, Had no sound for 10 minutes. Now I think no audio. No sound. Audio is out on your live chat. Oh, God. Really, the sound going out on my live chat and me not even noticing is somehow a metaphor for my joke of a career. God. God. That is so pathetic. True or false, at some point during the co event, Habib will end up on his back with Tony on top. Yes. Question is for how long? Maybe not long at all, but yes. Yes. Um, Cyborg, with Jermaine getting hand surgery, do you know if Cyborg will be fighting again soon? I have not heard anything about this. Um, last one, the transgender wrestler, who I was supposed to speak to yesterday, and his handler's jacked up. On your radio show, you discussed a transgender boy who had to wrestle girls in Texas because of a ruling by the state interscholastic athletics body, the UIL is what they're called, yeah. I just want to add two things to the discussion the comments since you said you didn't know much about this and had a question, okay. Undergoing a transition reduces the suicide rate for transgender people from quite high to the same rate as the general population. Pretty impressive success rate, I'd say. I would agree, but that's not necessarily a question about sporting ethics. The question I have is that given the lack of data about transgender athletic performance, is it fair to allow a transgender female born male became female to compete against the females? I could see it both ways. We went over this a little bit with the Fallon Fox issue. I think there is a point where some – look, there should be a group of people that don't agree with this at all. Um, the IOC and the NCAA have a series of measurements to determine the efficacy of something like that. Uh, I am not overly familiar with them. This is one of the problems, like, and I mentioned this before, if you grew up the generation I did, that was when people began to slowly begin to come out of the closet in more forceful in public ways. There's still a lot, of, and there still is a lot of stigmatization around it, but trans issues feel a lot different to me because they require some degree of um, medical knowledge that we don't have. And I think our institutions, our Olympic committees, our interscholastic um, associations, our laws, they just feel like one way or the other they're going to change because they don't take into consideration a lot of these new realities and maybe you're against these realities maybe you're not i'm here to debate that i just feel like a lot of us are confused not 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 evil intentioned just confused because this is i feel like rel- not, there's always been people who either were trans or wanted to be trans but i mean in terms of this having a forceful public um presence this is relatively new So, with that, I am going to go put a bullet in my mouth. Um, I apologize sincerely for just these ridiculous issues. It didn't need to be this way, and it was. I'm so sorry. I'm terribly sorry. Um, If you can find it somewhere in your heart to forgive me, please give it a thumbs up. I'll try to put this on SoundCloud as fast as possible. I really appreciate you guys watching. I'm going to go drink bleach, and um, I'll see you never. But until then, God, I'm an idiot. Stay frosty.